I invite you, if you have your scriptures with you, to turn to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. If you have a smartphone, which I know you all do, your phones are all very intelligent, you can look at your smartphone, and you can either go to the Bible app, if you have it, it's a wonderful way to read scripture, or you can go to BibleGateway.com, and you can find it there. We're looking at the gospel story of the birth of our Savior. And as I've already mentioned, that we're going to see in this the lessons beyond the things that we look at ourselves. Because we can look around, like I had you do here this morning, and we can do it everywhere we go in our life, and we can see a lot of things that we are not comfortable with and we're not happy with, and that could cause us to think that we need to change stuff. Hear what I'm saying? When we don't like things how they are, we start thinking we need to do something about it and change something. The problem is the more that we do something to change it, often the worse things get because we tend to make a mess out of things. I am so fond of saying, as Albert Einstein used to say, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results, but that's what we tend to do. So things aren't going well. We double down and do the same thing. And that's why this morning I'm calling this year can be the perfect Christmas because when we try to create the perfect Christmas, we're not going to be able to do it. If you and I try to make it happen, that's not going to give us a perfect Christmas. But when we can get back to our faith and trust, when we can put God in his rightful place on the throne of our lives, when we can realize that God has a plan and a purpose beyond everything and anything that we face, it's amazing how great this year can be, how this Christmas can be, our birthdays can be, our weddings that we have here in the church can be. But prayers for Dave and Angela getting ready for their wedding next week. Nobody signs up to get married in the middle of a pandemic, but we end up going through the things the way that they are given to us, and that's what it is. Life gets offered to us, not the way that we want it, but it's about learning to trust. Now, when I think of this time of year, one of my favorite things to do, and I know it's many, many, many Americans' favorite thing to do, is to watch Christmas movies. How many of you like to watch Christmas movies? Now, if you watch the Hallmark ones, sorry, I'm not a Hallmark fan, so you can't come to me and talk to me about those because I don't tend to watch them, but there's a lot of others that I do watch, and a lot of them are from my childhood. But what I've discovered is that everybody seems to have their favorite Christmas movie, and I've also discovered that as I watch them, there's always seems to be moments of grace that come through them. And I'm not even necessarily sure that the, the people who are putting the movies on, because a lot of times it's just Hollywood who's trying to put out a movie for the purpose of making money, but God's grace constantly, I see it coming through them in the messages. And so I like to look beyond sort of the, especially on some of the ones that are more humorous, the humor, and say, what are some lessons that are being taught here? And so often Hollywood gets it wrong, but a lot of times in the Christmas movies, Hollywood actually gets it right. And if you start looking at the messages in them, you go, wow, those are really good, positive, and Christ-centered and biblical messages. So just for... Kind of fun here. What are some of your favorite Christmas movies? We won't ask everybody, but let me hear a few of you give me your favorite Christmas movie. Somebody. Christmas Vacation. National Lampoon Christmas Vacation. White Christmas, I heard. Anybody else? Polar Express. We normally do Polar Express here in the church. We're not doing it here this year. One more. Home Alone. I love Home Alone. I've watched it twice already this year. Very fun. I have a whole set of things, I believe, at Home Alone also, but we're not going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about my wife's favorite Christmas movie. And it may surprise you, to any of you who know Regina, 
because Regina is sort of the prim and proper ultimate pastor's wife, and her favorite movie is National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. There, it's out in the open. And she loves, and so do I, Clark Sparky Griswold, who, in fact, and if you thought about the, the name of my sermon, maybe you could have gotten it, that that's the, the movie I wanted to refer to, He's trying to create the perfect Christmas. That's what the whole movie's about. He's just trying to create this absolute perfect experience for his family. And, of course, the harder he tries to create it, the worse things happen. It's that same idea. We cannot be in control. We start seeing that from the beginning in that movie. Remember when he goes out in the country and he cuts the Christmas tree? Of course, he not only has problems getting out there to get the tree, but then this great big huge tree, when he opens it up, he gets sap all over the place. He goes to bed that night, and his hands get stuck to his wife's hair. He tries to decorate his house with his 25,000 Christmas lights, only to find out that the lights won't come on. And, of course, most importantly, he's already spent his Christmas bonus, only to find out that he doesn't get a Christmas bonus. And that creates a whole other um, tragedy within his life. But in it, the message that keeps coming through is he is trying to create the perfect Christmas. Get it? I can't do it. I can't do it. Neither can you. That when we try to put ourselves on the throne of our life and think that we can make things happen the way we want them to happen, we become like Sparky Griswold and we just make a mess out of things. And it's a lesson that happens over and over and over in our lives and we keep banging our heads up against the wall as we do it again. This morning's scripture is about the perfect Christmas because it's about the birth of our Savior. But what we discover, it's not about Mary and Joseph creating it, but it's about what God's doing. Do you hear the difference? That's what we need to get to in our lives, is where we quit thinking that we need to be in control and start realizing that God is sovereign and God's going to do his work if we can trust and put our faith in him. And that's what's so hard for us to do because we like to take our will back. It is a night that changed the world, and it was not a night in which things went well. In fact, everything was as messed up as it could have been. We start hearing that in the, the first verses, verses 1 through 3, where we discover our powerlessness. Mary and Joseph were not in control, and they couldn't be in control. And in our lives, we only fool ourselves when we keep thinking we're in control. And if there's anything we learn over and over in life, is that when we think that we're in control, we make a mess out of things. Once we realize God's in control and we can trust him, then things get better. Hear the difference? Once I think I have to be in control, I just get the best of stand, which isn't really that good. Once I can accept the fact that I'm not in control, now I can trust God. And that's what's so amazing about our powerlessness, because we're told in verses 1 through 3, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first taxation that took place when Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. We read that and go, okay. It's not just an okay. That was a horrible, difficult, tragic thing that took place. You see, last week, Pastor David talked about the Roman government and how they brought about peace, and that's really what this is giving us, is a context of that. 27 years before the birth of our Savior, Caesar Augustus had defeated his enemies by literally crushing them. 
Now, I guess if you were a Roman citizen, maybe you would feel okay about that because you'd say, yeah, good old Roman government, we're in control. But think about the enemies who got crushed. Think about the people living in Palestine. Think about this first century Jewish couple. They were now in an occupied country. They were in a nation in which they, it wasn't a government that they wanted and they wanted anything to do with, but they were being suppressed by an outside force and they had lost all sense of their will. And if they didn't think they'd lost their will, it certainly happened in our text this morning. Because Caesar Augustus, having defeated all of his enemies, declared Julius Caesar to be a god and himself to be the son of God. He was named by the Roman people the Emperor of Peace. And eventually they were going to construct a great big huge statue in his name. But it wasn't a peace. It was a real lasting peace. It was a peace that was brought about by force. And there is no peace when you get force. If all I do is inflict my will on someone else, I may shut somebody else up. But that's not peace. You hear the difference? That's not peace. Having a Roman government just come in and, and just put everybody under their thumb. All that did was meant that Roman dominance was running rampant. And now first century Jews were absolutely powerless. What the Roman government told them they needed to do, they needed to do. And so they come up with this idea, and they had a few of them in the ancient world, where they wanted to get more money. That doesn't sound like any government today, correct? Never heard of that. This, this was something in a former time when governments used to tax people. They don't do that anymore. But anyhow, my sarcasm. Anyhow, the Roman government decides they need to get more money, so they tell everybody, we need to get you back to your hometown to be registered, and think of what that does for poor Mary and Joseph. Mary's nine months pregnant. And I know that we've all seen it on greeting cards, and it looks just so nice and beautiful when we look at it. But it really wasn't a pleasant experience to have a nine-month pregnant young woman riding a donkey the very night that she was going to give birth to a child. It was painful in an awful situation. And see, it just demonstrates to us that even the birth of our Savior comes into an experience in which people had to acknowledge their powerlessness. Joseph wouldn't have wanted that for his, his wife. He wouldn't have been sitting there anticipating with Mary that, oh, let's go take a, a long ride, honey. You're going to give birth, so let's go get on a donkey and see how that works out for us. Joseph is there wanting to love and protect Mary. Mary's wanting a healthy child. I know, out of powerlessness, the Roman government comes in and changes it all and says, no, you're going to do what we're going to tell you to do, and you have no say over it. Hardly the kind of thing that we like to experience in our life, but so often in our life, isn't that what we have to experience? That we think we're in control? We think we can say, and then a little pandemic, a little germ comes along and says, oh, you all think you're in control? We'll see if we're in control. People struggle today, even as I had us earlier, look around the sanctuary, because things have changed and we don't have any control over it. However, we do because we can pray. Hear that? We do, we can pray. And that does make all the difference. But ourselves, our own will, we don't have control. That's why in my wife's favorite movie, Sparky thought he could create the old-fashioned Christmas. But the problem was, he tried to do it. Yes, the Christmas lights that he had all set up wouldn't come on. And his large Christmas bonus ended up not being a Christmas bonus that he could 
buy a new swimming pool that he wanted, but rather his boss that year decided to save money and enrolled him in the Jelly of the Month Club. He thought he was in control, and he discovers he's not. That's really what the lesson of life is, because when you and I think we are in control, we make matters worse for ourselves. Let's try to remember that this season. If the only way that I can experience and enjoy Christmas is to have it done my way and have everything the way that I want to have it and have everything return back to normal, it's not going to happen. It's not going to be that way for any one of us. Now, we can trust and we can pray and we can know that God has a plan and a purpose and things are going to turn around. But in the immediate moment, can we all agree we cannot have life the way we would like it to be? That's why we're sitting here socially distanced with masks and a lot of people who aren't in the sanctuary. That when we get that concept, we're actually better off because that's true no matter what. That's not only true in a pandemic, that's true with all of life. I would have never chosen to have my father have Alzheimer's and my mother have a stroke. And I certainly wouldn't have chosen to have my brother die of cancer before he was 70 years old. We're utterly powerless. We don't have control of those things. And yet somehow when we trust and we put God in, on, in the rightful place, we start understanding that God does something beyond what we can even imagine. That's why for two months we looked at the letter of Paul writing to the Philippians on how Paul was this great evangelist and he's evangelizing the world and he's getting the message out and the church starts to grow and now God has a plan and Paul doesn't really like it because God allows Paul to be arrested and thrown in jail. He hasn't done anything wrong. He's an evangelist. He's sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And he realizes that as he's there in jail, he says in the letter, I'd rather be dead. This is really awful. But God is doing something amazing that as long as I'm here, somehow my being in jail, God is using to evangelize the world because people are starting to hear about my being a faithful Christian here in jail. And more people are coming to faith than when I was out preaching the gospel. And Paul writes a whole letter dealing with our powerlessness and putting God in his rightful place. That's why we come back in the story of Mary and Joseph to what Luke records for us when young Mary is told by an angel, Mary, God has a plan for you. Mary's excited. What can this be? I get to grow up and marry the king? Well, no, we have something better in store for you. You get to be a 13-year-old pregnant, unmarried lady, and everybody gets to talk and snicker behind your back. And, oh, and the guy who you're engaged to, he's really going to have second doubts about it, and he might not even stick with you. God has a plan and a purpose for your life that includes some things that are really uncomfortable. And Mary, as the Gospels tell us, doesn't complain and she doesn't try to change it. She says these words, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Are we able to say that in our lives? Are we able to face our hardships and our difficulties and our pains and our sufferings and the stuff we don't like and say, God, you're in control. I'm powerless. I'm okay because I can trust you. May it be according to your word. It changes our life. It changes how we face everything in life when we say, I can't, God can, and I'm going to let him. I'm just going to put him in his rightful place, and I'm going to trust him. Because if our powerlessness teaches us anything, and if the story of the birth of our Savior teaches us anything, it's that we are not God. 
Go look at yourself in the mirror. As I do every day. And remind myself I'm just one little human being. And our powerlessness, once we come to understand it, we learn to trust God. We've asked it before. Can you trust God? Yes? Can you trust God? Can you trust God? That's what it is about. Because once we acknowledge our powerlessness, we start seeing God's purpose, which is far beyond our purposes. We have little minuscule purposes. We want our little toys, or we want our next vacation, or we want our next job promotion. They all sound so good to us, but they're so small compared to what God's doing. What we really want is we really want our family members who don't know Christ to come to faith. What we ultimately want is those loved ones who've never trusted in Jesus, those friends of ours who we've been praying for, to experience the grace and the love of Jesus in a way that they never have before. What we really want is to sit in a nation that no longer thinks that we can make everything right by thinking as Americans we control everything and turn our life and our will over to God and start living a different way. Amen? It's what we really want. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm 61 years old, and my entire life I've been watching our country. We really think we have it all figured out. And you know what I've learned? We just mess things up every single time. Please hear me. I'm a person who loves America. But man, the more that we think we're in control, the more of a mess that we make. But that's what the Bible teaches us, because we're not in control. God's in control. Our purpose is to serve God and to realize that there's a purpose beyond what we are. And when all I can do is get my own best self-will and my own stinking thinking, which is what we all become, our own stinking thinking and getting the best of what we can come up with, it's amazing how much of a mess we can make of things. But God's purpose is so much greater than that. That's why in verse 4 we read that Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. And we read those words and we go, so what? Well, let me tell you, so what? The Roman government thought that they were extracting taxes. The emperor was sitting on the throne and goes, I know how to get more money. And the only thing he did out of all of that is he brought to fruition a prophecy that had happened 700 years before under Micah, where Micah had said in Micah 5.2, Oh, you little Bethlehem, you'll be the place in which a Savior is born. Isn't that amazing? 700 years before this taxation takes place, and the best that Rome can come up with is to think that, wow, we're going to get money, and all the while God's higher purpose is being worked out. The Messiah was to be a ruler in the line of David, and he was to be from Bethlehem. And now a census was declared to collect taxes in occupied Judea, but this very census led Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem because God uses the things that seem so awful in our lives, the things that seem so awful in our world, for higher purposes. It's a story of the Scripture over and over. It starts with Johnny Osmond. Did you know that? Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Go check it out. Donnie does a good job. And young Joseph is a kid growing up in Palestine. And he's got 11 brothers, and they don't like him. Now, you've got to really be disliked by your brothers to have what happened to him next, because they throw him in the bottom of a well and see some people from Egypt 
and sell them to the Egyptians. I don't know about you, but that is probably the second most dysfunctional family in the Bible. The first is, of course, the first family where Cain kills his brother. But here you have a kid who's that hated that he gets sold into slavery into another country. And now what the Bible tells us is his life kind of goes from bad to worse because once he's there, he gets in jail. But all the while, he continues to live faithfully and trust God and, and do the right thing. And eventually, he becomes one of the most powerful people in Egypt. All the while, back in Palestine, a famine breaks out. And everybody's going to starve. And they hear that they've got food in Egypt, so the family that is the same family that sells Joseph into slavery travels to Egypt to see if they can find any food. And lo and behold, who's the person that they go to? is good old Joseph. Now, when the brothers realize that, they are absolutely convinced that Joseph is going to get even. Oh, my goodness, they think to myself, we're dead. But Joseph knows the story of the Scripture because the story of the Scripture is being written. The very same thing that we experience with the birth of our Savior, that we may think that we're in control, but we're powerless, but God's purpose is great and far beyond anything that we can imagine. And that's exactly what Joseph says to his brothers. He says, you guys thought that you were doing something awful. You intended this for harm, but God did it for his glory. Look how many people's lives are saved, all because God's in control and God's purposes cannot be thwarted. Can we believe that this Christmas? Can we quit looking at everything and saying, how can it be so bad? And start saying, no, where is God working? What's God's purpose in all of this? Even in National Lampoon's Christmas vacation, a major disaster takes place. Clark Griswold has a crazy relative who decides to kidnap his boss. And as we watch the movie for the first time, we sit there and think, oh, this is an interesting Christmas movie. Everybody's going to be arrested and thrown in jail because it ends up being a tragedy. A whole SWAT team gets called in. And, of course, the boss ends up saying, no, this is awful, but I realize I need to change. I need to be a different person. The very thing that looks like it's going to go one way bad gets used for a higher purpose, and the man goes through a transformation in his life and starts realizing he needs to be nicer to people and kinder and more loving. That is the message of Scripture. That when you and I are preoccupied with our powerlessness, we're asked to refocus on God's purpose and say, what's God doing great through this? Where is my heavenly father doing his work in people's hearts and people's lives? Lord, open my eyes that I be, may be more like Mary and Joseph and see God's plan in all of this rather than just the things that are really tough in my life. Which is what brings us to the final thing that we learn from Mary and Joseph. And the final thing, if we're going to have a perfect Christmas and we're going to have it God's way, not our way, is we need to get back to what matters. Because so much of what you and I focus on in life doesn't matter. It really doesn't. It's like I've talked about before. Years ago for Christmas, I had to get David a white mager tigerzoid or something. It's the only thing that mattered that year. And we worked and we worked and we worked and we finally bought the toy only to sell it for 25 cents at a yard sale a few years later. Isn't it amazing how the things that we think matter don't matter, amen? 
Isn't it amazing how the things that we think matter don't really matter? Amen? That's the story of life. We keep focusing on what doesn't matter, and the Scripture wants us to focus on what matters. Our relationship with God. God's protection in our life. God's work in our life. The Holy Spirit's power to change us. The Holy Spirit working through our loved ones. The struggles and the problems that we cannot fathom how they can be taking place out there and believing that God is working in the lives of our loved ones. Verse 7, we're told that Mary gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a feeding trough, a manger. A healthy baby was born. Can you imagine interviewing Mary and Joseph that night and saying, man, your life is awful. And Joseph going, what do you mean my life is awful? Go, I just can't believe what you went through. Can you believe that horrible Roman government? Look what they did. They made you come here and you had to get on the donkey and you had to ride here. and You ended up having the baby in a barn and it was probably just some family relative or friend who let you even come here. How could life be worse? Mary and Joseph would have spoken up and said, we have a healthy baby. We're good with it all. God's in control. We understand a higher purpose and what ultimately matters. The result was there was not just a military leader who was born into this world, but the Savior of the world. Can you imagine what it was like for Mary the rest of her life? The Bible teaches us that no matter what, Mary was still there, and she even ended up being there the night that Jesus, or the day that Jesus was crucified on the cross. The same woman who throughout her life had been able to focus on what mattered went through a time when it was like utter powerlessness. Something far worse than the Roman government making her get on a donkey on a night that she was going to give birth. She literally had to watch her son die in a gruesome death. And somehow through all of that, Mary was able to trust. Can you imagine what it must have been like I started thinking about that this Christmas. I'd never thought about it before. The Bible tells us how everybody responds to the resurrection. Can you imagine how Mary responded? Can you fathom that? This woman who saw her her son die sees him alive. It's unimaginable. But in it all, Mary somehow and Joseph were able to realize what matters and all the stuff of this world and all the things that they were preoccupied with and all the things that they would like to have controlled that they had no control over, they realized didn't matter at all anyhow because God's higher purpose was getting worked through them and God's higher purpose is getting worked through you and me. And when we can realize that we are appointed here for a purpose, every single one of us lives a life that matters because you have an opportunity to live before God and to live before people and live a positive, encouraging life to share what it means to be a Christian so others have hope. Amen? Do you know you may be the only Bible some people in your life ever read? And how you and I live makes all the difference. So the moment in National Lampoon Christmas vacation that the gospel comes through is when Clark, having tried to create the perfect Christmas, gathers his kids around him and he says these words. He said, kids, remember, all that matters tonight is not turkeys or bonuses or trees. All that matters is not the stuff that we think matters. It's so much greater than that. God's love is for every single person.
And in the National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, they just sing a nice song and the movie ends. But in our lives, when we can understand that we do not have control, but God's purposes are happening no matter what, and we are privileged to be part of it, and we can trust in that, and we can see that God's hand is far beyond anything that we can imagine, and then we start realizing what matters. We, like Mary and Joseph, realize what a perfect Christmas is. And it's not perfect because we make it perfect, and it's not perfect because everything is the way we want it in our world and in our society. There's going to be great disappointments this holidays as families can't be together. We experience our own sadness as our son and his wife, Todd and Hope, aren't able to travel home to be with us, even though we had planned on having Christmas together. That's stuff that matters to us. But you know what? We still are having the perfect Christmas. Because God is sovereign and God is in control and he's doing his work. It's perfect when we realize that Christmas is about God's love for us and not what we do. It's perfect when you and I realize that there's a sovereign God of this universe who loved every one of us so much that if you or I were the only one who had ever messed up, his son would have given his life just for you. And then when we turn our life and our will over to him, instead of trying to control everything ourselves, we can start trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit and see how the Holy Spirit is working in our lives to create in us the people that God wants us to be. That's my prayer for us this Christmas. Because this Christmas can be the perfect Christmas. And we have the opportunity as long as we live by faith. And as long as we realize that God is sovereign and God is in control. And no matter what is out there or in our lives that we don't like, if we can realize that God is doing something great with even the stuff that we are uncomfortable with or we don't like or wish was different, we start understanding what the people of the Bible understood, that God is in control. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you that you are in control no matter what we face. We thank you that we can love you because you first loved us. And we pray that as we see things in our world that make us uncomfortable and things that seem far beyond our control, that we can remember what it was like for that young couple being told with a woman who was nine months pregnant that they had to travel to another town and all they had for transportation was a donkey and that donkey was probably pretty stubborn that they were still able to trust in you help us to do the same and help us to find peace in knowing that you are sovereign and that you love us first in Christ's name we pray Amen